tonight to the book of Second Peter chapter 3. We're going, to, we're going to look at the last two verses of this very personal letter that Peter wrote. Second Peter chapter 3. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, just one word, grow. Verse 17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This letter obviously was written by Peter for the purpose of promoting the spiritual advancement of God's people. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 2, you see he explains that in the very beginning of the letter where he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he is basically ending the letter exactly like he started the letter, explaining what his purpose is. In this last chapter, we find that he is warning God's people of hardships, of difficulties, and of dangers. And whenever I think about this, if anyone had a reason to speak about steadfastness and the danger of falling, it was Peter, right? I mean, here's a man that said to the Lord, I'll never deny you. You can count on me. You can depend on me. I'll never fail you. Though all others, you know, they'll forsake you, not me. It'll never happen to me, but it did. And now we see him writing out of the depths of his experiences, and these are the words of an old man left to us as his legacy. And I want you to notice the very first word of the last verse. It begins with the word, but. And that is an important point because it is a point of contrast. What he is about to say is connected to what he has just said. And you'll notice in verse 17 especially, he has been speaking here about the danger of ignorance, the danger of deception, difficulties, danger, and destruction. And he concluded with this warning in verse number 17, uh, lest they fall, notice, be led away with the air of the wicked. And that's all around us. It's always been that way. And he says, lest you be led away by the air of the wicked and fall from your steadfastness. And then notice the word here, but making the connection between the two. I think the point is, in consideration of the dangers that we face, and let me tell you, if you don't think of yourself as facing any danger, if you think that you would never fail, you would never fall, you're in a dangerous position. 
Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter's downfall started with him thinking that it couldn't happen, and it did. So here, having spoken about these things and given this warning in verse 17, uh, he commences with the word but here in verse number 18. And the idea is that we are in perpetual danger. And uh, being in that condition, how do, how do we escape the peril? How do we remain safe? Because the world is not going to change for the better. You can mark that down. It's changing every day, but it's changing for the worse. So how do we escape the air of the wicked? How do we escape, you know, the possibility of us falling? Well, this is what he's telling us. And notice in our text, verse 18, we do so only if we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, growing is our safeguard against falling. You know, just as going keeps us from falling when we're riding a bicycle, growing keeps us from falling spiritually. And whenever we stop growing, as I've always said to me, the best definition of backsliding is when we stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are in danger. So he gives a negative command in verse number 17 and then this positive command in verse number 18 as the solution to the danger. And that positive command is summed up in that one word, grow. Now, this verse is divided into two parts. You'll notice it begins with a point of theology where he says, grow in grace, but it ends with a doxology that has to do with praise. It says to him, be glory. So, to put it another way, he's speaking about two things here, and that is growing in grace and glory to God. And those are the two things I want to talk about tonight as related to our need to grow. So let's think about this matter of growing in grace. The first thing maybe we need to do is to define what we mean when we talk about growth. Uh, Certainly it's not talking about us just growing in our general knowledge of the Bible. It's not talking about us growing in our abilities, uh, maybe whether it's playing a musical instrument or singing or teaching or whatever it is. This has to do with our spiritual maturity. The word grow simply implies an increase. Something is growing, it's increasing. And here it's used in the context of our spiritual growth. We are to be growing, we are to be increasing, and he makes it perfectly clear as to what he's talking about when he says grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Now, not only do we need to define growth, but we need to understand that there is a dependence of growth. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think about growth is life, because dead things don't grow. And for something to grow, there has to be life. 
And one of the reasons a lot of folks will be a member of a church and a professing Christian for 30, 40, 50 years and they never change whatsoever. And, and, and the, the, the problem is not that they are not getting good teaching. The problem is not that the Bible is incapable of promoting spiritual growth. The problem is they've never been saved. And we would be shocked, I think, if we really knew how many church members, I'm talking about across the board, all everywhere, how many church members have never truly been saved. And it doesn't make any difference what you preach, how long you preach, how much you urge them to grow. They're never going to grow. You might as well go out to the cemetery and dig up a corpse and start preaching to that corpse. It's not going to do any good. That person is dead, and where there is no life, there's no possibility of growth. The Bible tells us that sinners are spiritually dead. That means they're separated from God. They're disconnected from the Lord. And you might as well expect a rock to be able to run and to leap or to shout as to expect an unsaved person to grow. It ain't going to happen. Sinners need life. And when they receive life, the Bible says they are quickened, made alive by the Holy Spirit. So they're given spiritual life. That enables them to grow, but growth has certain, there's certain demands in order to grow because it doesn't just happen because we desire it. In other words, that we just determine, well, you know, I'd really like to grow as a Christian. It doesn't happen that way. It happens as a result of something, but it happens because God not only desires for us to grow, but He demands that we grow. Notice this word grow. That, the language experts tell us that is in the present tense. That's important because what He's saying whenever He says grow, He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about something that is to be continuous. That we're not to grow in little spurts, you know. This year, you know, uh, I really grew in my spiritual life and for the next ten years you make no progress. When he says grow, he's talking about you making continuous spiritual advancement. It's continuous, now listen, and it's lifelong. You're to keep growing until the very end. And when I think about the Apostle Paul and what a great example he was there in Philippians chapter number 3 and, and, and verse 13 and verse number 14 as he talks about his desire. And he says, it's not as though I have attained. In other words, it's not as though I have reached a place of spiritual maturity that, you know, that it's plateaued and I've reached that place of advancement to where I no longer need to grow. He realized that as long as he was in the world, there was a need for him to grow. And growth is absolutely essential. And notice the direction he speaks of. It's to be in grace. Well, what is it to grow in grace? Well, if growth implies an increase... To grow in grace implies an increase of grace. You know, that's the wonderful thing about God's grace. He can add grace unto grace. And we certainly need grace. Amen? Whenever the Lord said, My grace 
shall be sufficient for you. You see, everything depends upon the grace of God, and we need more. We're to be growing, increasing, as it were, in the grace of God. But notice, and notice the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growth requires a ripening of our knowledge, and that's why truth is essential to our spiritual growth. Remember in Matthew chapter 11, in verse number 28, the Lord says, Come unto me. And uh, then in verse number 29, He says, Learn of me. I've often spoke about the fact that as Christians, we are in the school of Christ. He's the teacher, and He's the subject. Don't ever forget, He's the teacher. He says, Come to me. And then he says, learn of me. He's the subject. And so many times we even get, I think, so busy in our religious stuff that all of a sudden we quit learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, here at the beginning of this new year, we need to, we need to realize that all of us need to continue to go forward. As Paul says, I have not attained, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That is, I've put aside every weight. I'm pressing, as it were, toward the mark. Now, he wasn't talking about salvation. He's talking about attaining that which God intended for him. He uses the word apprehended. Apprehended means to be taken into custody. You're under arrest. And whenever he speaks about the Lord saving him, he uses that word apprehended, and he says, the Lord apprehended me. And now I want to apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. Just as I've been captured, as it were, by the love of Christ, as I've been taken into the family of God because of the sacrifice of Christ, I want to attain unto the very highest level. That's why he said, I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that there's always room for growth. Now, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about growing, and we're growing in grace But he didn't stop there. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so without the knowledge, there's not going to be the, uh, not going to be the spiritual food or the nourishment that we need in order to grow. The sad thing is a lot of people today don't have any real interest in spiritual growth or getting back on track doctrinally. In fact, you don't even hardly hear the word doctrine in churches anymore. You can listen to a thousand sermons and, and you know, you'd be fortunate if you ever hear the preacher ever even mention the word doctrine because today people are concerned about everything except being right and being righteous. We live in a day where, for example... A lot of folks don't even know what a church is. To really define a church, you know, they look at the building and they think that's the church. Or they look at some denomination and they talk about the Methodist church and the Presbyterian church. They absolutely do not know how to give a scriptural definition of the Lord's church. Look, we are in trouble when we don't even understand what the Lord's church really is. 
And, and, and you'd be, you would be amazed how many people that call themselves Baptists and they don't know how to define the Lord's church. Not only that, but there are a lot of them, there are a lot of them that do not know how to define what the mission of the church ought to be. They think it's just a matter of us all meeting together and, you know, we meet together and sing some songs and listen to the preacher and have a fellowship church, uh, fellowship supper with some fried chicken and what have you, and that's, that's all there is to church. But the Bible defines for us a specific God-given mission that we are to be busy about. A lot of them have no idea how church ought to function. You hear people brag about the church that they go to. And, and, uh, and I'm not going to get into this thing of trying to mention names, but in the first place, usually they're talking about some religious organization that cannot even strictly be defined as a church. It's just a religious organization, in some cases run by the preacher who is nothing more than a dictator that tells the people, this is my church, this is what we do, we don't vote on anything. In some cases it's run by a family you know, you don't, the preacher and his family and so forth, they make all of the decisions or it's run by a board and nobody has any right, you know, to question, uh, uh, what, you know, what the church is going to do. I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand why people tolerate something like that and why, why they brag about being a part of something like that. Let me tell you right now, if you're in a so-called church and you don't get to vote on the things that the church does and the manner in which it operates, you need to get out of it right now because every member of the church is important and every member of the church has a vote on what the church does. But a lot of folks don't understand that. You see what I'm talking about? If we're going to grow in grace, we've also got to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And if you don't understand what a church is, you're headed for trouble. If you don't understand how it operates, you're headed for trouble. A lot of folks have no idea what version of the Bible that we ought to use. You know, they talk about, well, you know, that's your choice. I know that you you folks use the King James Version of the Bible, and, you know, that's your business, and that's well within your right. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I use some other version of the Bible because it's a lot easier to read, and I can understand it better, and so on and so forth. Let me ask you a question. Is it accurate? Is it accurate? And a lot of people, well, I, I, I don't know. I just figured it was. It's, you know, it's called the Bible and Brother So-and-So down at First So-and-So Church. That's what they use down there. Surely not anything wrong with it. And so here, here we've got, you know, these folks out here using the NIV and other versions of the Bible that clearly contradict what this one says, let me tell you, if the King James Version is not the most accurate version of all of the versions, that meant that we went for hundreds of years there without, without, any, without any correct version of the Bible. And by the way, both of them can't be right, can they? You see, a lot of people adopt some particular version of the Bible, and it's obviously in conflict with what another version of the Bible says, and they have no rhyme or reason. They have never studied. They've never looked into it. They've never done any research whatsoever. They just like it better. 
Well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you allow your children to base their diet on what they like better? I'm, some of these kids would live on cereal or peanut butter sandwiches. They'd never eat what's good for them. No veggies, no meat, no, you know. Uh, no, you, you, as a concerned parent, you make sure they've got a good diet. You better make sure that the book you're using is the Word of God and understand why. So notice he says, we're to grow in grace and, and also in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, let me add this, although he doesn't go into any detail beyond that, the Bible does. We are to abound in all areas of our life. We're told to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, but not in that only. In other words, he doesn't say, I grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's all. That's not the point. The point is, that is that's the most fundamental, basic areas of our growth. But the Bible also tells us to grow and abound in other areas. Several years ago, our Bible conference, we had the theme that year, abounding. And that, that was the theme. And we took verses of the Bible uh, related to that and uh, how we are to abound. For example, there was a message on faith, abounding in faith. And, that, and the Bible tells us we're to be abounding in faith. We're never to allow our faith to become stagnant. It's to be growing. You ought to have more faith in God today than you did a year ago. Your faith ought to be growing. Your love ought to be growing. Your hope ought to be growing. Your humility ought to be growing. In all of these areas, we are to be abounding more and more and more. I didn't even realize how this message ties together with the message this morning until really this afternoon as I begin to think about it. As we abound in these things, we ought to see the need for increasing in our faith and in our love and in our humility and all of these other areas. And that ought to be the mountain that we're crying out for. Oh, dear God, help me, help me to abound in these matters. So we're to be growing, and the development of our growth is something that issues from within. Have you ever noticed how the Bible pictures believers as being like trees, God's people being like trees? Well, the upward growth, the outward growth all takes place where? Well, it's in the root system. It's in the underground, unseen part of the tree. You know, that's where all of the nourishment comes from. That's what promotes the growth of the upward and the outward. And for you and I, it is the inward part of us as we feed our soul, as it were, on the Word of God that enables us to grow. And where there is any delay, we are endangering ourselves. Remember, Paul said over in the book of Hebrews chapter number 5, where he said, well, the time has come when you ought to be teachers. In other words, you should have matured. You should have reached this place of maturity to where now you're useful in the work of the Lord. And he said, uh, instead, of, instead of becoming useful, you have need that, that someone teach you again. 
go, and go back to the very basics and the first principles of the Word of God. And that's where a lot of folks are. They really don't know any more about the Bible than they did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And we endanger ourselves. Remember, keep this all in the context. Verse 17, warning, don't you fall from the steadfastness of the way. Don't you be deceived by uh, the false teaching of evil, wicked people. And he's telling us in verse 18, this is how you keep that from happening. You grow. And as you grow, you are protecting yourself from that danger. Now, that's only part of the verse. We could stop there and just, you know, wrap it all up. But notice that he doesn't end the letter on that note. Notice he speaks not only of growth and grace, but also the glory to God. It says, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, this is a doxology that is declaring the deity of Christ. Remember what he said? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of, notice, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And notice here, to Him be glory. Well, the Bible tells us that God will share His glory with no man. And if all glory is to go to Him then he must be God. I, I, I mention that because there are a lot of people, a lot of religious denominations that would tell you that Jesus is a great teacher, he's a fine example, you know, he's a good man and all of those things, but he's not really God. A lot of people believe that. Well, the Bible teaches otherwise, and this is a perfect example of that, declaring the deity of Christ And notice that our aim in growing is not that we'll be happier. A lot of times, you know, somebody say, well, you know, I want to, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so I'll be happier. But that's not, now listen, you'll be happier, no doubt about that. But that's not the reason. That's not the motive. That's not the motivation. The motivation for it is what? Notice he says it's for the glory of God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he said, And whatsoever things you do, you do all to the glory of God. Whether it's eating, drinking, or whatever it is, you do all to the glory of God. And that's what he's reminding us here of, and it's important because as he closes this letter, nothing better could be said because this is our greatest goal. And this is the final word to his readers. This is the foundation of all that we do. This is our first order of business in everything that God would be glorified. So the, the goal of our growth is to glorify God. And regardless of what great heights that we ascend to, uh, He alone deserves the glory for it because He is the change agent. I, I mentioned this morning our responsibility to do certain things. God expects us to put off the old man, put on the new man. God expects us to pray. God expects us to feed our soul on the Word of God. And those are all responsibilities given to us. But it's God Himself that enables us to grow. In Second Corinthians chapter number 3, and most of you know how much I love chapter 4 of this great letter, but you can't study chapter 4 
without looking at the last verse of chapter 3. And he says, but we all with open face, that is without a veil of face, uh, a veil on our face, without anything in between, he says, with an open face, beholding as in a glass, uh, as though you were looking into a mirror, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. Now notice, as we behold the glory of the Lord, he says, we are changed into the same image. Isn't that wonderful? We are changed not by working, but by looking, looking unto the glory of the Lord. We're changed from glory to glory. Now that's abounding. And as I've often said, He changes us from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory until we get to glory. That's, that's the point. And notice the last part though, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So while we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, feed our soul on the Word of God, we do everything that's our responsibility to do, but only God enables us to grow. We are changing His likeness by the Spirit of God. It's what He does for us. And so the motive and the motivation for us growing is that God would be glorified. And that's what he's saying here. And notice how he ends. He says, both now, you know, a lot of folks are really concerned about what heaven's going to be like and what they'll do there. And they want to fall down before the throne and they want to, you know, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're not all that concerned about it now. But he's telling us here that we are to glorify him both now and forever. Well, have you ever thought about how we're going to spend eternity? Have you ever thought about what we're going to do? My dad, bless his heart, and he was as sincere as he could be. He, he, he didn't know, and, he, and really, you know, he'd listen to different people talk about heaven, and uh, he really wanted to know if there was going to be fishing in heaven. He was hoping there would be, you know. And, you know, I told him once, I said, Dad, there's going to be a river there, but, you know, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say anything about, about fishing in heaven. You see, we get all these ideas, you know, we talk about, well, I'm just going to sit down with the river of life and dangle my feet in the cool, clear water and just, you know, rest forever. No, you're not. The Bible says you're going to serve Him day and night forever. But in Revelation chapter number 5, and here we get a picture of universal worship of Christ in heaven. And notice as the heavenly choir, and they're they're designated as 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Somebody says, you know, well, not going to be many people in heaven. Well, you're sure wrong about that. Notice what they're doing in heaven, saying with a loud voice, 
There's no timidity in heaven. They're not just mouthing the words. It's with a loud voice they're saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. Well, that, hey, that relates to what Peter just said unto Him be glory now and forever. Why in the world would we want to waste our time, use our energy, and occupy ourselves doing things here on earth that are going to be different than what we do in heaven? I mean, after all, didn't the Lord say we're to pray, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you want, do you want to spend your life here on earth doing what you're going to be doing in heaven? Well, if you do, it's all about living your life in such a way that Christ will be glorified. And then he, and then he closes with what I just heard from some of these gentlemen. Amen. That is an affirmation of truth. It is an announcement of blessing or praise. This is the final word of the letter, and we ought not to ignore it because it's there for a reason. I love what one writer said about this. He said, we can say that there are four meanings to amen. And uh, here's what he said. It expresses the the desire of the heart. It's the affirmation of our faith. It is the joy of our heart and the declaration of resolution. Literally, of course, it means so be it or be it so. You say amen, you know, the preacher says something, somebody says amen, they're coming into agreement with what the preacher says. So be it. Let it be so. And we need to think about that in regards to the truth that we hear in the Word of God. And, and even more important than shouting amen is for you and I to affirm by way of resolution in our heart that that being the truth. The truth is what? In this case, the truth is your only protection against falling from your steadfastness is to be growing. And you're to be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and in all of the other graces that the Bible mentions, love and faith and joy and all of those other areas. There's always room for growth because because of the fact that Jesus is our example and none of us have got there yet, have we? None of us are close enough in likeness to Him that we can say, well, I arrived, I can close my Bible now, I can skip a few times at church, it's not that important because, you know, I'm a really sound, well-grounded, fundamental Bible believer now. And whenever you stop growing, it's because you're now backslidden because you're not going to stay where you are. You're not going to stay where you are. When you stop growing, you're going backwards. 
in your Christian life. So I hope tonight that this will prove to be a challenge to each and every one of us, that as we think about what God wants for us, that we will abound in all of these graces, that we might grow more and more in His likeness. Stand with me, please.